Thank you, ladies. It's always a, a wonderful treat to hear the piano and the strings. I know you guys get embarrassed, but you are a blessing to our church. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. So and I know you're serving unto the Lord, but you serve well. So thank you so much. I'd like to welcome everybody to Grace Reformed Baptist Church and some important announcements today. We have a fellowship lunch right after church, and we're Baptists, so you are all welcome to come, even if you haven't prepared. If you have an appetite, please come. Even if you don't have an appetite, come and, and grab something and just visit with somebody you don't know and, and get to know other brothers and sisters. And then we also have the world-famous GRBC Youth Choir is practicing today at 1 o'clock in the cottage. And while they're practicing, about 1.15, we're going to come back over here and go through Tim Challey's Around the World Journey Through Christian History, a DVD session. And this is to give us something to do while we're waiting for the kids to be done with their practice. Uh, this is from Tim Challey's, who is one of Barbara Challey's kids. Gail and I have already gone through this once. I know Blake and his family have gone through it. It's fantastic. Just Tim has a, a unique way of approaching the world, and I encourage everybody, even if you don't have children that are in the youth choir, come over and join us. It, it, it would be a great way to spend 25 minutes or so in the afternoon learning about Christian history from a unique perspective. And that's my announcements. That's about 115? 115. Approximately. Yeah, approximately 115th. Um, in, in here. Thank you. Today. <laughs> this afternoon. Right. If I get done preaching. Any case. Hey, before we begin, too, and um, begin in our prayer, I'm going to pray in a unique way today just to kind of guide you through uh, prayers that you might want to pray from time to time. It's a great way to pray, and that is to pray through the Scripture. I'll be looking at Psalm 139. won't follow it exactly, but if you want to look at it while I'm praying, following along, you can, and think in your own way in, pray, in praying, and we'll hit some of those aspects, Psalm 139. But before we begin that, I just want to also draw your attention to our bulletin. And inside there, under choir practice, it mentions Tune My Heart Catechism. Uh, this is something that I'm implementing. I'm going to put this out every week. I'm thankful for Linda printing it for the bulletin this week and also for making it big enough that I could actually see it. So that's good. Uh, in any case, I've been looking for a good catechism. We have one that I modified a bit and gave it out and uh, encouraged you to use it. Uh, I like this one better. Uh, it's, it's more simplified. It's more condensed. Uh, th this comes from G3 Ministries. It's from a sister Baptist church, Reformed Baptist church in Atlanta. And you can download this resource yourself for free. Go to their website. I think it's G3 men.org slash resources or just look for resources they have several uh, and we may 
address some more of those. There's a, I think there's a devotional type thing that goes with it. I didn't get through that in great detail, but certainly the 52-week catechism is in the, uh, their resources. And if you have trouble, just email me and I'll get you a copy. But Lord willing, we're going to print this each week and add this to our bulletin so that uh, we might be able to utilize it. Now, mostly, these things are designed to help teach children theology. They're going to need to know it. And guess what? Even this, how this begins, they're not going to get that off the Disney Channel. <laughs> okay? So this will be very helpful. I would encourage your parents, if you want to use this, you, you ask the question... Who made you? And teach the children the response is, God made me. And as you have time and so forth, you can look at some of the texts that are mentioned. You can uh, work through this like a Bible study on your own. Uh, this is something that you could talk about on the way home uh, from church. And the second question might be, what else did God make? And the answer is, God made all things. And again, some verses there. You know what? This is good for adults, too. And <laughs> If you might want to put this on, if you're into apps, Quizlet, you can put this together. I, I think I'm going to do that if it's not already there, and if it is, if, if it isn't, I can get you a link for that at some point. Uh, but I think this is help for adults, too, to be reminded of these great truths and to stop and look up the text of Scripture. Now, I put each week, it'll also have a memory and meditation verse. Now, I put the word meditation there because we also have the fighter verses each week. And I don't want you to get overburdened, but I'll tell you what. It isn't a burden to read and think about God's word. And some of these they might memorize. This one here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's an essential verse for children to, to know. We taught our children that from the very beginning and emphasized it. it. It really answers a lot of the questions that will come up in time. And for us as adults as well to be reminded of the fact that God created everything uh, is, is truly a good thing to, to know and keep in your, in your mind. So I hope you enjoy that. Use that resource for everyone and particularly for parents, grandparents, um, to teach children uh, these great truths and to, to plant this, these seeds of theology in their heart and tie them in to the text of Scripture that is mentioned there. We just don't want to give them uh, truth that isn't grounded in the truth. All right? So I uh, hope that uh, is a good resource that, that we'll have available for you to, to look at. Now let's go ahead and prepare our hearts to worship Christ by praying his word. And the word today comes from Psalm 139. Let us pray together. Oh, Father, we have gathered together today to worship your holy name. You, indeed, have searched all our hearts. You, indeed, know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. There isn't a moment in time in which any of us are not on your mind because you are God, great, grand, and glorious beyond whatever we could possibly think. You, you can discern even to the very thought, those thoughts that we may be 
deceived about. You indeed know indeed what is in our heart. You're acquainted not only with what we think, but what we do and where we go. E- even before we say something, Lord, you, you know us intimately all together. And so we, we pray, Father, that that great truth of who you are, it, it, it is truly overwhelming to us. And may we recognize that indeed you, you are higher, much higher than we could possibly attain. So may we be in submission to you and to listen to you and trust you in every way in which we go. We're thankful, Father, that there is no place that we could go without your presence. You are there. We cannot flee even if we wish to run. Father, we, there is no place we could go on heaven and earth that is outside of your presence. You, you indeed are omniscient, God, but you're also an, um, uh, omnipresent as well. And I pray for myself and your people that this would be a great blessing to us to know that you have never left us, you have never forsaken us, you indeed are always there. I pray, Father, that those who might be walking in shadows of great difficulty even this day, and perhaps they're dealing with conflicts, disease, discouragement, depression, whatever it might be, Father, I pray that the the gloriousness of of who you are would shine through whatever darkness overcomes us at this moment. May we look at you and see the brightness, indeed, of who you are. And Father, we're thankful that we didn't arrive at this place by accident. Indeed, you have formed each one of us in the way we are formed from our mother's womb. And so we We praise you that we're fearfully and wonderfully made an image of you, your wonderful work. I pray, Father, that this would be great peace to us to know that indeed every one of our acts and every one of our days were known and recorded indeed ahead of time, even before they happened. You were there, and so how precious are indeed your thoughts. I pray that they would be increasingly precious to each one of us. You know our name. You know our name better than we know our name. And so may we be increasingly trusting of you and recognize indeed who you are. I do pray for those that don't know of the glory and grace of who you are. I pray, Father, that you would stop their mouths from blasphemy. I pray, Father, that their wicked thoughts and acts and actions would not be those things to which would affect me. But I pray, Father, that by your grace you would restrain them, restrain their malicious intent, those who would blaspheme your holy name, And give us a righteous indignation against those things that are indeed against you. I pray we would not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the seat of scoffers or with the scorners. I pray, Father, that we would also count them 
as rebellious and enemies against us because they're enemies indeed against you. But may our anger against that which is untrue and that which is unholy not build us up into pride but cause us to examine our own hearts. And I pray, Father, that you search each one of us to truly examine our own hearts, to try each one of us, that you would know indeed our thoughts and expose to us through the power of the Holy Spirit any wicked way in us. And I pray it would lead to repentance and a recognition that you will forgive each one of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And beyond that, you will lead us into holiness and a walk in blessedness with you. I pray that you bless each one of your people, comfort us with the truth of who you are. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please take your hymn books and let's stand together and turn to number 656 and we'll sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. 2 Samuel 22 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. 656.
Life of Christ reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, indeed, In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what he has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown on thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Gracious Father, we're thankful for your precious word. Father, that it indeed reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart of the Father. Father, we just ask that you would help us to always be reading your word and perceiving the truths that are contained in it, Lord, and help us to apply them to our hearts and our lives. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 71 says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. Let's take our hymns books once more and turn to number 13. And we'll sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.
285, I will sing of my Redeemer. He is the down payment of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 14. Mm. I will sing. Good morning, church. Scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, which you'll find on page 909 of your pew Bible. In in chapter 1, Luke tells us how after his resurrection, Jesus taught his disciples about the work they would do, and how they, they would be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But first, they would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. In chapter 2, after the Lord has ascended to heaven, he fulfills his promise. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it? that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them teaching in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and those and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is but it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the great before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about our patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, uh, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin, of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort, him, say, exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and held all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which tells us of your mighty works, your holy nature, and your salvation. We thank you for sending Jesus to accomplish our, our salvation and for authenticating his, his teachings by the mighty works that, he, that you did through him, that he showed that, that who he was. We thank you that you did not leave us as orphans, but have provided a helper, a comforter in the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit would work powerfully in us, that we would have the boldness that we see in this first century church, that we would love one another uh, and, and enjoy the warm fellowship and generosity that's rooted in the hope of Christ's imminent return. We pray that we would do our part in our generation to do the work of the Holy Spirit by being witnesses to your love and your salvation here where we are as the gospel is preached to the ends of the earth. We ask your blessing on the offering today that it would support your work here as well as abroad through our brothers in Anchored in Truth. We pray, Father, for the, the preaching that we would hear clearly your word and that we would receive it and through the work of the Holy Spirit on us that it would bear good fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
take our hymn just once more and stand and turn to number 149 and we'll sing praise him praise him blessed our jesus our blessed redeemer sing O earth his wonderful love proclaim 149 Church. I hope you notice a theme, it's Christ and Christ alone. And we'll continue that theme in the book of Hebrews. We're looking at chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And I had hoped to get through this section, and I guess I was more optimistic. And we'll see if we could finish up this section that we're on right now, this warning about spiritual apostasy. We'll look at verses 4 through 5 in particular, and 
as the preacher of Hebrews goes through this, he is talking about characteristics of those people who are really close, but in the end, really far. And we'll focus on the last two that are mentioned here, these characteristics, and I've kind of lumped them together. Hopefully I'll get to both of them simply as a taste of glory. Apostasy just means really to turn away, or it's translated here, fall away. It's falling away from something. He'll give five characteristics of those things that are good and and glorious. But the people who actually fall away, and this is something that you really need to, to know and understand, Those who will fall away do so because they are unregenerate. They really were never in. They may have come and been a part, engaged in various religious activities, and were very, very close, and yet they were far away. John will tell us in 1 John 2, 19, why they went out from us but they were not of us that's the point and he continues by explaining if they had been of us they would have continued with us so if you apostatize the faith it you do so because you were never one of us you were never regenerate you never born again because those who have come to life in Christ continue They will be sealed until the day of redemption. The fact that they go away makes it plain that they are not of us because sometimes you you just don't know. And then that makes it certain. But this sermon, the book of Hebrews, characteristic of apostolic preaching is given to the church. These Hebrews were... Christians, collectively, they had confessed Christ as Lord. This is a congregational sermon ultimately pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. This is for those who regularly come and who participate in all the practices. But it's appropriate because the preacher really doesn't know what is in the heart of man. So I prayed through Psalm 139. God knows. He knows what's in all our hearts. He knows better than ourselves. And so we go to him and pray, search me, O God, and know my ways. See if there's any wicked way in me. Confess that and allow him to work in your heart. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man, but I don't know. The preacher of Hebrews doesn't know. And so this is a warning then to provide a general sense, a call to self-examination. And beyond that then, for each one of us then to encourage one another to continue in the faith because it's a great warning. Walk away and there might be a point of no return. Don't take it for granted what we're doing. Encourage one another. And be reminded that the heart of man is deceitful. It is 5.11, remember, about for the mature person, verse, I'm sorry, verse 14 of chapter 5. 
about the mature person would, would, would need solid food. And, and why would you have to have this solid food, this doctrine? So that your powers of discernment would be trained by constant practice. See, engage in there to, be, to, to learn and to be trained in a continual way. Why? So that you can distinguish between good and evil. We call that discernment. And I'll jump down here a little bit to mess the guys up in the back who are putting this on video for some of the folks at home. But Charles Spurgeon had a quote, remember? Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. I've said that before in this series, and I think it's worth repeating here. The, the ability to distinguish between that which is good and evil, and most of what we recognize is almost right, and yet it is wrong. We're not to be satisfied then that our friends and our families and members and people we know have reasonably positive thoughts about Jesus Christ and Christianity. That, my friend, is insufficient. That's what he's getting to. That is not enough. It it is not enough just to associate and to participate in various religious practices. Rituals and so forth are, are very beneficial They're very helpful, but they don't necessarily demonstrate that a heart is truly repentant and regenerate. And so we encourage all of these religious practices, but we don't depend on them to then determine our faith. I think the preacher of Hebrews wants to remind us about God's goodness here in the section that we're going to address. God is a good and great God. He grants his grace in, a, in, a, in a, an abundant way. We call it common grace to mankind. And to rebel and reject to that, to, to fall away from that blessing, is something that will lead to great destruction and And maybe just as bad, you miss out on an incredible blessing. A taste of this goodness of God and his glory. Walking away from a genuine relationship in Christ, in the community and fellowship with the saints, leads to a slippery slope of destruction and will forfeit the blessedness that is in Christ Jesus. So this preacher, as he's preaching about the goodness of God, the specific glory of Jesus Christ, he constantly stops then and gives a great warning. I think the warning is just to call us to be reminded of what blessing we have in Christ and what peril there would be outside of Christ. It's a great thing to Warn and teach one another. Remember in chapter 2, he says, Be careful lest you drift away from it. Your heart is deceitful, he would say in chapter 3. 
Don't depend on your own intellectual grasp of things. Challenge, examine, pray, ask God to search your heart because you're going to fall away from the living God, the only one. And the danger is, well, if you do, it's impossible to bring you back. In our reading this morning in our ministry training class, Andy pointed out chapter 12 in Hebrews, which we'll get to some point. But there's an example of Esau who gave away his spiritual blessing for nothing. A bowl of beans. And he could never get it back. And that's the good illustration that he's going to make all through this sermon and the warning now headed by verse 11 in chapter 5 that says, pay a close attention. So, regardless of what state we might be in, let's pay close attention to this warning of apostasy. I'll read it in its context, chapter 6 through verse 12. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. This doctrine of Christ, if you remember, this was Judaism, the ABCs of Judaism that pointed to Christ. Now Christ has come. That's the maturity or the perfection. Go on with that. And he gives these rituals that have been fulfilled in Christ, laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, verse 2, and of instructions about washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucified once again, the Son of God, to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain and often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who, whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Mind that in that reading that we had earlier in the life of Christ reading in the parable of the soils would parallel with that. We'll get into that perhaps next time. He says, verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, those who are truly regenerate, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. What are they? For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I do pray that you will grant us faith and patience to indeed inherit a promise that is beyond our imagination. I pray our hope would be in that one, in Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray this time would be a great reminder and blessing to all that are in Christ. And should anyone search their heart and call out to you to, to examine and find themselves outside of Christ, I pray today 
that would be the day of salvation. May we not harden our hearts. May we be softened to your holy word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you've gotten the feeling thus far as we've gone through this text that this warning really is a, is a matter of life and death. This is not something for you just to consider, to just to go home and think about. This is about forever. It is about eternal life. Rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ or regressing away from the gospel, it is going to lead to a hardness of heart. A hardness of heart as the preacher warns it may come to a point of no return it may get so hard you can't crack it anymore so he says to to this particular audience the hebrews as he's preaching hebrews who have have come together and confessed christ but then are thinking because of all the social pressures that they have to go through, and I'm not minimizing it. I think it's actually greater for them than it is for us. It meant their entire livelihood. They just couldn't go out and get another job somewhere else and be involved with anyone else. To follow Christ in the first century for these Jews, this meant quite a bit. A great sacrifice, and I understand it. They would lose their family. They would lose their friends. And in many cases, whatever fortunes they had, they would lose that too. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. You abandon everything else if that's what it takes. And ultimately, where your heart is not uh, tied up in those things as treasure, by the way, including your own family. We we love our families. I wouldn't want to lose them. But I'm going to take Christ. I want you to come with me, but if you won't, I will follow him. That, that's the idea here. He, he tells them to lo- le- walk away from those symbols and come to the substance, who is Jesus Christ. See those symbols as they practice those rituals, as those things that they point to the reality, who is Jesus Christ. This is a unique thing that has occurred now. God has fulfilled these promises in Jesus Christ. So don't turn back, he says. Move forward in your faith. Do so through the power of God. That's verse 3 in chapter 6. And as I said before, too, ultimately, as he's staring out at the congregation, he doesn't know who may apostatize. We, We may be surprised that some people who can actually articulate the gospel, who know it well, who have been engaged for quite some time, and yet walk away. And as we established there at the very beginning, if they walk away, they're unregenerate, so we don't know. In fact, the real warning is don't deceive yourself. Don't think everything's okay. You know what grieves me more than anything? is to share Christ with someone who, at least from my perspective, really don't show any real affections for Christ. I'm not criticizing them for their lack of reading the Bible, lack of praying, lack of attending uh, a congregation of the saints, or whatever else you might go on. But I'm not criticizing for that, but, but there's no indication in their life whatsoever of any of that. Well, what they have an indication of is what they really love is whatever entertainment they're involved in, whatever 
uh, nice family things they do and, and, and whatever hobbies they might have. These things are what consumes them. And you ask, what do you think about Christ? Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I, I, Jesus is Lord, sure. And, and I'm going to heaven uh, w- when I die. Everything is fine. That's a hard heart to get through. It's going to take the proclamation of truth accompanied by the power of the Spirit for them to be able to hear and heed God's Word. It brings great grief. And so I can feel the, the tension here of this particular preacher as he's preaching. He doesn't know who's going to walk away. And I'll tell you what, as I get older... Um, and see these little ones come to faith in Christ and be baptized. I'd have a really broken heart to see him walk away. And I know some of you have family members and friends who have. An intellectual grasp of the gospel isn't enough. Even exposure to the goodness of God of his, within, with his people, it, it isn't enough. It's grievous to know that there may be those that are not regenerate, those that are so close and yet so far, those that are so close to the glory and beauty of Christ but don't really see it. That's why he puts out these five characteristics in our text because some people in and in i think in their case and perhaps in in ours as well may hold on to the fact that well um there's some things about me that um, make me think that i'm okay and he's going to dispel those notions and we've already been through the first three you remember in our text it says get look at verse uh, um, look at verse 4. In, in the case of those who have been once enlightened, and enlightened just means here that they, they are intellectually aware of the truth, right? We've, we've been through that. And then they have tasted the heavenly gift. Taste means experience. They've had some experience of the very work of Christ, and in their particular circumstance, Perhaps they would have known someone who may have even seen the miracles of Christ. Certainly they would know the miracles of the apostles who were, who were given that as an authentication of, their, uh, of them being a messenger and their message until that was finally complete and composed in the Bible. And a third thing, and that was the hard one we dealt with last week, that is shared in the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about personal regeneration here. It doesn't say they were born and regenerate. It doesn't say that they're the elect. It's about those that have experienced the very supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And you know, one of the greatest expressions of it is in the salvation of sinners. I can't bring somebody to repentance and faith by argument. It's going to have to come about by divine work of God's grace. I'll simply preach Christ and proclaim him. And God will use his word to bring about life. So we'll look at verse 5 now and see the fourth point that he makes. And that is, 
there are those that are going to fall away, and it says that they have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. And again, this word taste has to do with experience. Experiencing the very good Word of God. They were part of this gathering of the body. The very Word of God was being proclaimed. They experienced that. They heard it. They heard it read. They heard it sung. They heard it prayed. They heard it explained. Oh, yeah, that's what we do too, right? That, that's been continuing on. That, that's essentially all that we do and why we're gathered together is to explain, to pray, to think on God's word. This is what a gathering of God's people does. And it's very easy, by the way, to overlook what you have Most all of you at least have some access to it. In any case, if you don't even have it with you, this book right here before you. This indeed is not any book. It is the very breath of God. It is the only source of absolute, infallible information in this world. Everything else needs to be changed and updated because we gain more information or more experience. This has never changed because God hasn't changed. In their day, if you'll note, as we've read through the Hebrews, and really we looked at some of these other texts as well, God's word was being proclaimed. And his emphasis in Hebrews is in these very last days, God has spoken by his son. What other voice, what other higher authority would you want other than Christ? And you're going to turn your back on that? Turn your back on what you have? Paul reminds his Protege Timothy, and here you might want to turn. We'll look at a couple texts. First, in the second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's helpful to follow along just so that you could see the scripture text itself. And be reminded as we look through here what this resource that you have before you actually is. Because again, we could take it for granted. We have a copy of it. It's easy access. You can get this online. You can put it on your phone. You could get it easily printed. That wasn't always the case. Oftentimes, they would have to memorize large portions to be able to carry it around with them because they know what a treasure this actually is. Here in this text to Timothy, his protege, he tells him in verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, for him, pointing him out directly, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. His mother and grandmother, by the way, in the previous section, he says, and, and then verse 15, and how from 
childhood, you have been acquainted with what? Look at that. Sacred writings. He's talking about the Holy Scripture. He's been acquainted with it. He's been explained it. He, he has been taught to memorize it. He has been taught to meditate on it. By the way, that's why we do all of those things. Because what benefit would that have? Because then that will, in his case, it was able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is opposite of a fool. A fool who doesn't know God. Do you want to know God? You're going to know him in his word. And here, what a great blessing Timothy had because the word of God was explained to him. He was nurtured in God's holy word, which brought about, in his case, salvation. It made him wise unto salvation. And then Paul will then explain and this helpful for us, familiar passage to us in verse 16, of what this actually is right before you. All Scripture, not some, every bit of it is what he's talking about. All that was written prior and that all that is written under the authority of the apostles who were, who were directed by Jesus Christ, that's what he's talking about. Collectively, now we have it all. It is called the Bible. All of it, every word of it is, is theonoustos is the word here. That means God expired, if you will, at the expiration of his breath is what he's talking about. We use the word inspiration, breathe out. How would you breathe out? We normally think breathing in, taking a breath. No, he's not taking it in. This comes from the very voice of God. He's breathing it out. And then what, what is this then? It, it, what do we do with it? What, what benefit? Well, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's foundational to it all. That's how important this is, and what a, an incredible blessing for anyone. Then, in that church where this sermon was given, to the congregation of the Hebrews, or us today, for you to hear the word of God. Again, I don't t- make any apologies for the reading that we do, the explanation that we do about the word of God, because it is, it is that which is going to bring about salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the words of Christ. The sanctification that we need comes through the word. Jesus would say, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. What a great blessing. In this case, a family, a godly family, who would teach this young Timothy about Christ through the very word of God. This is a great blessing. A great blessing that continues to be a resource then for us to be able to equip each other in for the ministry of God. There's no other source. So if you leave that truth at any age, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to hear the very words of God? No other. That's his warning. It's good, 
and there's no other source. So, so to walk away from that is going to lead you to lies. And remember, lies look really good. <laughs> They're deceitful because the devil is deceitful. Does it wrap it up in something very obvious? Most of the deceit looks really good, but inside it is death. And so we proclaim God's word, and it is good. If you're in Timothy, you can look in the first Timothy, one book over, in chapter 4. Again, another admonition, explanation of the glory of having and exposure to God's word. He will tell Timothy, and remember, he is training him to, to work in the ministry. To, he'll eventually pastor the church of Ephesus, we believe. But nevertheless, he, he's building him up for the work of the ministry. And Paul says, until I come, then devote yourself to, I'm in verse 13, sorry, 4.13, 1 Timothy 4.13. Until I come, devote yourself to the, note this, public reading of Scripture. This is why we do public reading of Scripture. This is not fill time. It's purposeful. And you say, well, i got a Bible. I could read it at home. Okay. You need to hear it more, even if you read a lot. And I would encourage you, by the way, to engage yourself when that public reading is done. We, we point out here the, the, the version so you can follow it along. You can use any version you want. We, we do that maybe to help you follow what's being read. But, but in, engage yourself to that. And so he was called as an elder to, to engage in this public reading of Scripture. Uh, clearly, that would have been... Uh, they, they would not have had as easy access to Scripture as we, and of course, all of it wasn't even complete at that time. There were still books to be written, but nevertheless, here it is a call, and it hasn't been rescinded, and I think it's a good one to adhere to the public reading of Scripture. Notice this also to exhortation and teaching. So th those are aspects then, when you, what we do too, you, you read this word, and then you exhort, that, that you, 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 you encourage by it. And then you teach, that is, you, you explain what's going on. He says, don't neglect the gift that's been given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And that was an act of commitment, rec recognizing that God had gifted him to, to engage in, in the practice of an elder he says, he says, then practice these things, verse 15, immerse yourself in them so that you may see whose progress, your progress. So here the elder is then called to also grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. In fact, he'll make a point of that in verse 16. Keep close watch to yourself and on, note this, the teaching. It is make sure you get it right. That's a, a paramount job. Don't teach something that is not true, that is half true. Pay attention. That's teaching comes from the Scripture. And so what benefit would it have? Persist in this, then. This is diligent striving 
For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That salvation there is talking about, yes, regeneration, coming to Christ, but also sanctification in your life. That's what he's talking about, both salvation and sanctification tied here into God's word. This word of God is as I mentioned, tightly stitched into the fabric of the sermon through the book of Hebrews, if you've read through it. Read through any of the sermons, and that's what you're going to hear. We have a contemporary evangelism, whatever today, evangelical churches today, that, that want to unstitch the word of God from what they do. I think you need to put more in it because it actually has a dynamic power through which the Holy Spirit can use. And here, in their case, they're just preaching through the Old Testament. This preacher of Hebrews, he's doing an exposition of Psalm 110. And what is he preaching about? Christ. From the beginning to end, it is all ultimately about Christ mentioned, I think it was last week, about uh, a blessed man. Blessed is, of course, the one who God doesn't impute iniquity. He's talking about somebody who's righteous because God imputes that righteousness to him. Psalm 1 begins that about that blessed man, not only says what he doesn't do, engage in, but on the positive end, it says what? His delight is in where? the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's what we talk about when we're talking about meditation. Not some sort of mantra. That is, you're, you're thinking about it. You're delighting in it. That you're guided by that truth, and that then will bring about fruit in your life, which we'll touch on in a moment. They heard God's word. They heard it sung, they heard it prayed, they heard it proclaimed, and just like we do today. And beloved, that's a great privilege. That's better than going to a theme park. That's better than going to some entertainment event. I, I enjoy entertainment. I really do. I don't mean to diminish that. And We can really get excited about all kinds of really neat and cool things. But this is a great privilege. And not all our brothers and sisters have this privilege that we have today to freely gather here and to hear God's word explained and proclaimed without challenge. There are many that are meeting right now in very dark and difficult places. And if the governmental authorities or if other antagonistic people in their area knew about it, that it would, it would cause them great bodily harm. But you know what they're doing? They're, they're praising and worshiping Jesus Christ and taking great risk. What a great privilege for us to be able to hear God's good word and to notice that indeed it is good. If you take a look back at our text in Hebrews 6, the, the expression is that it is tasted the goodness of the word of God in verse 5. You see that? Six, Hebrews 6, 5. Have tasted, that is experienced, the goodness of the word of God. I explained it to you in a general sense, but um, and I don't want to be too dogmatic about this here, 
But just to help you a little bit, words have ranges of meaning. Normally, when you see word as associated with scripture, it's the Greek word logos. That's not the word here. It's remos. They're in the same semantic domain. But why would you choose a different word? Well, it's hard to say. Context determines meaning. And I, without getting into this, the weeds here, I would just say this. His main focus, yes, it is true, God's word in general. But Ramos, you, you normally use that to be a little bit more specific. The specific focus that he's talking about and the goodness of it is throughout this whole book of Hebrews is, do, do you know, don't you? It's Jesus Christ. It is the word about Christ. It is this gospel. That, that is the good news. It's generally God's word, yes. But, but if, you, if you take it and distill it all, and, and you see, where, where is it all pointing to? It is all pointing to Jesus Christ. Remember how he began here? Even in Hebrews, he says this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. Jesus has then completed and fulfilled all that spoke before. This is the good news of Jesus Christ in particular. It, it isn't just you have a word that, that is incomplete. It's complete in Christ. That's what he's pointing to. This is the gospel. If you want a definition of it, I'll just read it for you. From 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, an apostle, he's out preaching, and that's a chapter on the resurrection we're all familiar with. But he begins that chapter out, do you remember? He says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel is for us. It is for those that are regenerate to be reminded of and to hear about the gospel. He says, the gospel which I preached, I proclaimed, which I also received, and in which you stand. That's how you will stand. It is in the very work of Christ. What's the gospel? It is by which you're, you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Because remember, those that are in Christ will endure to the end. That, that's his point. He says, for I delivered to you first of, of first importance what I also received. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is why we don't unhook the scriptures from the scriptures. They're all pointing to that word, that ramos, and that is Christ. He is the fulfillment of all. The gospel is that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And if you put your trust in Christ, your sins will be atoned for because they were paid for by Christ in accordance to what? This good word, this scripture. It elevates that once again. This is a specific mention here again. 
Turn to 2 Peter 1. This I, wanna, this I want you to see because I think it's worth noting. 2 Peter chapter 1. This is one of these apostles. It's from the apostle Peter. There is some teaching going on about how that what we should focus on is not the scriptures. Don't get people tied up in all of that. Instead, just talk about people who witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that would be good enough. Don't tell them about, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Don't tell them about how he made man, male and female, and how he designed and desired all things, how he knew that each person is specially formed, in, even in the mother's womb, life begins with God And so they want to ignore all that so they can fit into the contemporary world system and just talk about some Jesus that resurrected and unhitched from the scriptures. Well, I know somebody who witnessed all of that. His name is Peter. He was an apostle. Remember him? He wrote wrote an epistle. We call it a letter. And just jump down to verse 17 of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. And he's speaking about his eyewitness of this one, this incarnate one, Jesus Christ. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, a voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, can, can you imagine being an eyewitness to that? A lot of people want to hear the word of God. They want to hear his voice. He heard an audible voice. There's many that claim today that they heard his audible voice. Maybe if you press them, it's just their impression of it. It's in their mind. Or some made-up idea about a still, small voice or whatever. But this one actually heard an audible voice of God. He says, verse 18, we ourselves heard, and it's not just him, it's those that were with him. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. But look what he points to. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You want something better than an audible voice of God from heaven? Do you understand what you have? Is this the treasure of your heart? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord indeed is good? It's so easy to take this for granted. This is the the word that is more fully confirmed. Why? Because it's written. I mean, it's one thing to hear somebody testify about something. Or even yourself. Maybe you were mistaken. Here it's no mistake. It's written down. And the admonition then, Peter would say this. 
It, it's to this that you would do well to pay attention to. Sounds like the preacher in Hebrews, doesn't it? I think they were kind of on the same page with that, that you ought to pay attention to this right here. This is what you ought to pay attention to. Pay attention to it how? As a, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that's what he's talking about, the prophetic word more fully confirmed, it is God's holy word. It isn't from someone's own interpretation. What he means, we didn't just make stuff up and write it down. Well, then how did you get it? He explains, it was never produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural word of God. There's nothing like it ever, anywhere. So you're going to walk away from that? Have you tasted this, the very good word of God? Where are you going to go? To, to what source would you go to? What, what, what superior idea and ideology? Are you going to go to Muhammad? Are you going to go to the Book of Mormon? Are you going to go to Ellen G. White and all her crazy writings? No, this is the word of God. This is all there is. This is what we mean by sola scriptura. It is the only infallible proof, truth that we have. It is the very breath of God written by men who were born along by the Holy Spirit. That didn't occur by any other source. It's here. So where, where are you going to go? And in these last days, as he says in Hebrews, it is, through, it is the completion through Jesus Christ who draws apostles to him, who anoints them then to go and, and write the Gospels, the history of the church, the letters to the church, and then the final revelation of Jesus Christ, who is coming soon, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, I'll finish, see if I can come quickly with this. This second phrase, I'm going to tie these together back to Hebrews 6, 5. The powers of the age to come. You kind of get that a little bit in the idea of tasting the, 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 they experience the Holy Spirit, right? That's some of the power. Jesus promised if you send the Spirit, they would be witnesses. We read that this morning in Acts chapter 2. The powers of the age to come are these things which we presently realize within the Christian church. Christ promised things that would be accomplished in his word in the Old Testament, and he fulfills them. We don't live in the shadows, but we live in the future brilliance of his divine accomplishment of grace and glory. Not in symbols, but in substance. All of these promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I was going to walk you through Hebrews, but I'll save that for another time in which this writer then 
emphasizes that. I, I alluded to it in verse 2 of chapter 1, but there's, it, it's all the way through where he alludes to it, the, the completion of it. I think that the power is what he's talking about, is the power of the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the age to come. It is because Christ rose from the dead that your faith is not in vain. It is because Christ ascended on high and has promised that he will not leave you as orphans, but instead sends the Holy Spirit, and then it's demonstrated within the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, as Hebrews 12 talks about. In this day, we experience the fullness of his grace and glory, something we may overlook. And i just close with this. I'll give you three ways. One, in which his grace and glory is expressed within the assembly of his church, is in the fellowship of the saints. What would bring about disparate people to truly care for one another? It's hard enough for our own biological families to get along at times, isn't it? But, but what was going to draw us together? Because we like the same type of ice cream? Because we, 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 we all share in the same economic status? Because we all have this or that? No. What it is is our love for Christ, which is then expressed to one another. I'll just, re- I'll just read this quickly for you, a few texts. John thirteen thirty four. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a supernatural love that goes beyond any kind of social contracts that we might have with one another. This is a genuine love because of our love for Christ. We can love one another. It is an expression of the Holy Spirit in the fellowship of the saints. Number two, fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, we call it. In Galatians 5.22, you remember, fruit of the Spirit is, is not only love, but it's also joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are characteristics that are produced by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, to see more fruit in your life, you want some of these things, which I desperately want, you'll have to eat. You have to find nourishment, and he has provided it in his good word. Finally, the filling of the Holy Spirit, number three. In Ephesians 5, Paul describes it this way, I think, for us to recognize. In Colossians, he'll, he'll use a similar phrase. He'll say, Christ, it is Christ in, in you, or let the word of Christ dwell in you in Colossians. But in Ephesians, he says, don't get drunk, because that's debauchery. In other words, don't be controlled by outside resources. Instead, be controlled by the very Holy Spirit. Addressing, and this is, this is Ephesians 5.18 and following, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Genuine expression of the heart. Always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. The, the, this, 
All of this display, the fellowship, the fruit, and the control or filling of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated in the life of the church. This is a taste of the powers to come. And the preacher in Hebrews would say, don't think lightly of it. You have the good word, and the good word demonstrates its good work among his people. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that you will grant us a greater glimpse of your glory. We're thankful for the all you have granted to us in Christ Jesus. May we listen to the admonition to not be dull of hearing, but indeed to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you a moment now privately where you're at to respond to God in any way he has spoken to you privately where you're at. Take a moment to think on these things. Father, I pray that you grant us the diligence to indeed confirm our calling and election to practice godliness in our life by the power of the Spirit that we may never fall away. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I'll stand and turn to 223 in our hymnals. Nothing but the blood. 223. be dismissed to the fellowship hall. Gracious Father, we pray that each and every one of those here would stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around their waist, 
and the breastplate of righteousness in place, with their feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And may they take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And may they be able to stand in the evil day and boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Father, we now pray that you would also bless our time of fellowship together and bless the food to our bodies that you've prepared for us. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.